Hi there and welcome to another Osler podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. The intravenous cannula may well be one of the most commonly performed procedures in healthcare. You probably perform it several times a day without even thinking twice. However, without attention to detail, it's possible the humble cannula could cause your patients harm. Gillian Ray Barul is an experienced nurse researcher at Griffith University in Australia. Among her numerous research interests, Gillian has extensive experience in the prevention of indwelling device-related patient complications, and she joins me on the podcast today. Gillian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Gillian, in broad brushstrokes, what are the major infectious risks of peripheral IV cannulas? Well, it's interesting. We never used to worry about this question, um, but we now know that the risk of bloodstream infections with a PIVC is about two in a thousand, and most of that is Staphylococcus aureus. So if you multiply two in a thousand by the vast numbers of patients who get a PIVC inserted, which is around a billion around the world every year, that suddenly and a substantial amount of patients who will end up getting a bloodstream infection from their PIVC. And, of course, many patients will get a local infection, and we don't even have the numbers on that. Is there any particular risk factors? Like what, what sort of patients would be more at risk of getting a bloodstream infection? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, younger patients, probably more at risk. And um, there's a couple of reasons for that, probably because they move around and their cannula is moving around. <laughs> um, women are more at risk and that um, it could be because they have smaller veins. We're not really sure, um, but we're still trying to work that out. Uh, also, patients who are obviously immunocompromised uh, or have other things going on, comorbidities, um, obesity, so there's a few things, obviously burns, patients, anybody with impaired skin integrity is a risk. Are there any particular sites that are more at risk than others? Yes, definitely. Um, anywhere that is in an area of flexion, such as the wrist or the antecubital fossa, is a higher risk of infection. And that is because the catheter is wiggling around inside the vessel and it can um, move it can actually move in and out of the vessel, and that's called pistoning. And when that happens, microorganisms can go down the track and straight into the vein. So we really want to see IVs put um, preferably in the forearm or somewhere where they can be secured. They're not going to be dislodged or wiggled around. Now, infection control obviously starts with sterile technique or appropriate infection prevention technique. What is the uh, standard of care for um, sterile approach for insertion of an IV cannula? Well, obviously hand hygiene is critical. Um, also skin decontamination before insertion is essential and we should be using chlorhexidine 2% in 70% alcohol solution. Um, also critical to let that dry before inserting a PIVC. Uh, the recommended technique for cleaning the skin is now a back and forth motion. It used to be the circles, but uh, not anymore. And that's because we now know that the friction is also beneficial in decontaminating the skin. Uh, sterile gloves are not necessary, but if you need to repalpate the vein after you've cleaned the skin, then you should be putting on sterile gloves. 
In terms of dressings that can be applied to IV cannulae, what what are the recommendations around that? Well, the PRVC, it should be dressed with a sterile transparent dressing with the insertion site visible so you can see if it becomes red or swollen. Uh, The transparent dressing has to be removed and replaced if it becomes soiled, moist or loose. And like I said, we now understand the importance of securement. If a catheter is not secured, it can wiggle about in the vein. So that is a big problem. So now we have all these different types of dressings that have integrated securement. So we have bordered dressings, um, specially uh, integrated securement dressings, uh, sterile tape strips, and even tissue adhesive, which is um, a skin glue. Uh, We're still undertaking research to find out what's uh, most effective, but there's quite a lot happening in that space. Now, you certainly see some uh, dressings that are specialised, I suppose, with chlorhexidine impregnated in them. Are they necessary Mm -hmm. for an IV cannula? Uh, Look, they're quite expensive and uh, that would preclude a lot of uh, hospitals being able to afford uh, chlorhexidine dressing for an IV cannula. Um, Places overseas are now starting to do that. But in Australia, we have not gone down that route yet. We are um, maintaining um, just the chlorhexidine dressings for the central lines at this stage. So I guess it's a risk-benefit analysis for the patient. If the patient is at particular risk, then it's something that could be um, added to the arsenal, if you will. But for everyday general use of a PIVC, no, a chlorhexidine dressing is not recommended at this stage. Gillian, if I'm seeing a patient on a ward round and they've got an IV cannula in, what should I be doing in terms of assessing their their cannula each day? Well, I'm so glad you asked because assessing IV cannulas is um, really something I'm passionate about. Um, I actually created the I Decided tool to provide clinicians with the core aspects of invasive devices assessment and decision-making at the point of care. And this is completely based on the guidelines. It's a mnemonic. Um, The I stands for identify if the patient has a device and what type they have. And whether that's a peripheral line, a central line, even a urinary catheter, if the patient has something stuck in them, it's an infection risk. So it's really important that we know what what we've put in patients and that we get them out on time. So the the D then stands for does the patient need it or can it be removed? Because if the therapy's finished or you're not using the um, IV in the last 24 hours, what is it doing there? So it needs to come out. Uh, E stands for effective function. So has anyone checked the patency of this line? Does it still work? There's no point leaving it in if you don't know if it's patent. Uh, C stands for complications. Everybody knows about phlebitis, but there's other things that can go wrong. So lines become dislodged, lines become occluded, they infiltrate. Um, So there's a bit more to assessment than just looking for phlebitis. Um, As I've said, like infection prevention is really important. So I put that in the mnemonic because it's in the guidelines and it's a reminder that every device is an infection risk. So scrub your hand, wash your hands, scrub the hub if you have to access the line. D, dressing and securement, as I mentioned. Um, E is for educate the patient. So ask the patient's understanding. Why do you have an IV? You know, how long has it been in for? Any idea 
Have you been told when it's coming out? Because it's really important to involve the patient in their own care. And um, there was an interesting study done in Ireland. They found that if the patient didn't know why they had a cannula, they were seven times more likely not to need it. So ask the patient, when was this last used? And they'll tell you. <laughs> um, and then, of course, D is for documentation. Um, believe it or not, we've found in our research that up to 20% of PIVCs never get documented. So no one knows when they went in, where they went in, who put them in. Um, so, of course, things get forgotten. If it's not documented, it'll get forgotten. So, yeah, if you're going to put something in or take something out, then make sure you document it. So that's my recommendations for assessment. I decided. Gillian, one of the banes of the uh, junior doctor's existence is being called to recite a cannula on a routine basis. How often should we be replacing IV cannulae? Well, this has been a um, robust discussion, shall we say, for about the last 10 years. Um, it used to be every 24 hours, then it was every 48, then it was 72. Uh, the CDC says not more than seven, not more than 96. But the Australian Commission PIVC Clinical Care Standard has um, looked at all this evidence and they're allowing for PIVC replacement either at 72-hour intervals or as clinically indicated by the individual patient's condition. So, again, it's a risk-benefit analysis. Think about this. If a patient needs four days of IV therapy and the PIVC is functioning well and patient's asymptomatic, then it's safe to leave it in until they finish their treatment. Right? But if the PIVC is not functioning well or it has any symptoms, the patient's complaining of pain, then it needs to be removed and re replaced regardless of the dwell time. You wouldn't be waiting to the 72-hour mark. There's nothing magic about 72 hours. It's just a guideline to remind nurses to check the PIVC and take it out when it's no longer used. Now, from time to time, uh, doctors, nurses and paramedics alike will be required to administer medications through an IV. What are the recommendations about appropriately accessing these devices? Uh, absolutely. Again, importance of hand hygiene, you can't um, overestimate that. So that's before or touching, before touching the IV, after touching the IV, before drawing up your medications, uh, etc. And then, of course, before flushing the line. So if you need to access the line, you should be washing your hands and then scrubbing the connect, needleless connector with an alcohol wipe. Um, they say about 10 to 15 seconds of vigorous scrubbing, and that's um, getting all the nooks and crannies around the sides of the needleless connector as well. Uh, and then you need to allow that to dry before you inject into it. Now, some hospitals are now using the alcohol-impregnated caps, which is showing a lot of promise. But just remember, if you do that, um, the caps need to be discarded and then a new cap opened up and put on the needleless connector after every single use. So, you know, it could end up a bit more expensive than the alcohol wipes. <laughs> the other element of therapy that relates to IVs is giving sets and how often they should be changed. What can you tell us about that? Uh, well, we now have recent, robust, randomised 
control trial evidence that regularly changing a central line infusion set that's been used for crystalloid solutions, so your normal saline, your dextrose saline, plasma light, et cetera, every seven days is just as effective as every four days. So it does not increase infection risk and it can save a lot of time and money. So we still recommend that if you're giving lipid infusions, you change the lines at 24 hours or more regularly for lipid-based infusions such as propofol. Um, and obviously you have to follow your hospital policy and your manufacturer guidelines. But this evidence for the central line um, infusion sets is very recent. So your policy might not even be updated yet. Finally, Gillian, are there any other tips and tricks related to intravenous cannulae that you'd like to share? I think the most important thing is really to understand what's happening in your own hospital. Um, a lot of places, they don't do audits of peripheral cannulas or they'll only do an audit after a patient gets a bloodstream infection and everybody gets all upset about it and, oh, no, we've had a SAB, we need to do some audits. It's like, yes, well, that horse bolted. Um, <laughs> I think doing regular audits, they don't need to be large, just a snapshot audit. Just run around, you know, if you've got some time, run around the ward and have a look at the 10 cannulas. Are they documented? Are they dressed properly? Are they still needed? Are there any signs of problems? You know, just small and quick is a lot better than, you know, trying to organise your whole hospital on one day of the year, everybody looking at cannulas. It's a bit silly. I think it just needs to be a regular, small and, um, you know, recognised important part of practice that could save a lot of patients' veins and a lot of heartache. Gillian, thank you for joining us on the podcast and sharing your insights into IV management. Thanks very much, Todd. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our great podcast interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading the free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslercommunity.com.